thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I'm Ron Wilson, CEO at InterviewStream and the host of Talent Storm, where we'll chat about everything that meets at the intersection of talent and organizational performance. We're focused on exploring the tips, tricks, and techniques for identifying and fostering talent and creating high-performance cultures and teams. I'm excited to have Charles Shea joining me today. Charles has over 14 years of experience in sales, sales management, software and product development, and as a startup advisor and investor. Today, Charles works at Google and leads a SEAL team that is responsible for identifying, implementing, and experimenting with go-to-market strategies and pitches for the new G Suite products before handing them off to the Google Cloud Sales Organization. Charles, welcome to the Talent Storm Podcast. I'm honored to have you with me today. Um, before we get started, would you mind giving uh, our listeners a, a quick overview of your background and what you're up to today? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Ron, for having me uh, here today. It's an honor. Um, so a little background on myself. I'm a first-generation Chinese immigrant, moved to Chicago from Taiwan at age of 12. I don't know if you ever heard her phrase, helicopter kid or parent, mm -hmm. uh, in that phrase. So it seems like you have a familiarity with that. So. Basically, at age of 12, my parents moved uh, my brother and my sister here to the States uh, to live with my aunt, to pursue a better education, perhaps better life, and move right back to Taiwan because that's where they had their businesses and supporting us from afar. And then as I get older, you know, you tend to have this kind of moment of reflecting back of basically what are some of the area or things, events that should change your life aside from getting married and having kids. This is one of those events, uh, you know, because I'm a firm believer if what doesn't challenge you, doesn't really change you. And this is the ultimate challenge. Where I was basically brought into a new place, doesn't know the culture, language, sur surrounded by people that doesn't look like me at all, especially in the Chicagoland area. Sure. It really forced me to develop a worldview to better have a, a deeper understanding of others, think in their shoes, work hard, and really change my lives for the years to come. And I guess fast forward, I actually started my career. You, you did a fantastic, uh, I guess, summary of basically my career. I started my career as a software developer, actually. And I always sort of knew as I went to school, this might not be the thing I want to do long term because I think I could never be as Google good in software developing. Like, I don't think I could ever get in Google as a software, software developer. But I always had, that, always had that interest in business. And as I have this kind of aspiration to be the CEO someday, I look at some of this kind of classic CEO who are very successful, yourself included, all have sales or go-to-market backgrounds. Mm -hmm. So I figure that's when I sort of want to you know, dive head deep into sales. So I moved out to California, joined Agilent as a technical salesperson. Basically, they took a leap of faith on me uh, to sort of only hire engineers to do sales. So this kind of hybrid mm -hmm. of sales and sales engineering and cover a territory in the Bay Area. And ever since that, really just kicked out my sales career. And since that, I joined several other you know, software startups like LinkedIn, HackerRank. And then that's before now Google came knocking to sort of help, uh, asking me to sort of help jumpstart their new talent technology called Google Hired that's built on top of G Suite, now called Workspace today. And I've been here ever since. Um, and because of that success, I've just been doing this kind of repeat, rinse and repeat process to sort of help the G Suite product team launch new product, identify an initial go-to-market strategy, and then pass it on to the greater sales team afterwards. Awesome. Well, that's a fascinating background. I noticed, you know, you, you went to University of Illinois. Looks like you had, you know, you double major, you're a double E and, uh, and computer engineering. 
which obviously, yeah. you know, great, great school for that. So I'm, I'm glad you shared the journey because I was interested, you know, you started out in the developing stage and then, you, you know, you kind of flipped into the go to market, you know, area. And, and uh, I, I appreciate you bridging that gap and helping the audience understand that uh, amazing journey that you've been on. And obviously, uh, it's still just uh, still cruising, cruising along. So, um, I know you've been part of, uh, you know, a, a couple wildly successful companies, you know, fast growing companies. And, you know, I'd really like to lean in and understand a bit about your experience building and leading high performance teams and individuals. And maybe we can start with, you know, like what are some of the qualities that you look for in team members when you're starting, you know, when you're bringing people on board and, and starting to build out a team? Yeah. Fantastic question. I think, uh, when I first became a people manager, I think we had this kind of misconceptions that I'm looking for that perfect talent. I always feel like sometimes that perfect talent doesn't exist, right? And then we always lean in on that this perfect talent has got the perfect skill set, uh, you know, that can sort of help do everything, especially in sales, you know, crush the numbers and make you look good, et cetera. But over time, what I realized for me personally, I tend to look for people who are focusing on these three areas, you know, people who are humble. Mm-hmm. So humility is a huge piece for me um, that sh- really shapes a part of my team culture. Hungry, so people who have grits, and then they're just generally smart. So the general problem-solving problem skills. And I think that each of the criteria weighs very differently depending on obviously seniority and the type of role that you're looking to hire. So for example, and you know this and you, you know, I've been in this kind of uh, in a leadership role for quite some time. For junior level people, you're not going to expect the person who is fresh out of college to know everything about the professional world. There's just no way. Um, so you typically, I, I typically lean in more heavily on the, you know, the ability to be humble and humility, knowing that they don't know everything, but also have the passion and the eagerness to learn more because I firmly believe you can hire passion, but you can train skills, not the reverse. Mm-hmm. So, right. and obviously for senior level people, or is that whole myself? As I get older, I have more experience over time. I probably, you know, will lean more heavily on just looking for people who are not arrogant because of the experience that they've built over time, but willing to share that experiences as best practices to help our team member, not to see them as competitors. And and also just generally be able to take on more difficult challenges. So ability to problem solve. Not just necessary to work 12 hour days, you know, to right. learn more things because you just don't have that kind of ability anymore once you have family and, and kids, et cetera. So really those are the three criteria. Oh, that's right. Also one last thing that I always do in every interview is I use uh, what I call the boss test. And that simply means I always ask myself that question, would I be okay reporting into this person that I'm looking to hire? Interesting. You know, this person is reporting into me, but would I be okay reporting into this person one day because this person's potential, the ability to, to love others and uh, help others, um, to elevate the team? Do I have a lot of stuff to learn from this person? If the answer is yes, it's absolutely, I would, look, I would, I would definitely hire this person. Uh, it's like the limit test. Um, but if it's no, that's typically a red flag. Like, you know, so... Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Oh, that, that's an interesting one. I've never, never used that one before. So I'm going to, um, so, uh, I, I'm going to make an assumption and let's see if I'm right. Uh, you're a fan of Patrick Lencioni. Uh, do you know who that is? No. Okay. So, so Patrick Lencioni is the author of the book called ideal team player. Oh, interesting. Okay. And, um, you've never read it. I have a lot of mentors, just cool, a lot of things I learned over time. So it's like a cliff note version yeah. of probably something from it. 
So yeah, no, I, yeah, I, no, I, it's I good. My- this is what I love because you actually shared. Um, Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, it, what I was going to say is, um, you know, so Patrick is like an organizational behavior, a change management consultant. And um, he has a, a firm called The Table Group, but he's written several books. But one of his books is uh, called Ideal Team Player. And he basically talks about the, the three characteristics of an ideal team player, hungry, humble, and smart. You know, so you, I know, I like, yeah, I was like, wow, you, you, you nailed it. And then, um, but, you know, I wanted to add a couple that uh, I've recently, so I'm, I'm a huge fan. I, I agree with you. You know, you look, I always look for people who are hungry, humble, and smart. But the other thing that I've added to it is three other um, kind of characteristics, which you touched on one of them, which I love, which uh, one being um, you touched on passion. And I think, you know, what you said is, is, you know, you can't teach passion. You can teach skills, but you can't teach passion. So definitely look for passion in folks as well as commitment. You know, people who are, are focused on, you know, achieving results and outcomes and, you know, goal driven. And then the, the, the last one I added this year in March was resilient. Because mm. in today's world more than ever, and, and you actually talked about it from your background. I mean, I think, you know, you're a model of resiliency from the changes you've gone, you know, that, that have gone on throughout your life. But uh, anyway, so I thought I'd add, add my two cents in there just because you hit on something that's very near and dear to my heart. You know, yeah. kind of the characteristics of people. And, um, you know, I tend to, I'm biased and agree with you uh, wholeheartedly in, in what you said. Yeah, I perfectly agree with you. Uh, you know, I think the passion piece, especially, I feel like people oftentimes find opportunities or do things without understanding their why, right? They just go in and do it because that's the next shining thing. And then typically get burned out. Or they right. typically, it's hard to motivate these individuals to do things uh, that's greater than themselves. So yeah, I, I, I love what you said there. Yeah. So, um, so now talking, you know, kind of getting back to um, building teams and cultures, you know, how do you, um, you know, how do you go about driving, you know, team performance? Like, you know, from a leadership, from a style perspective, you know, how would you characterize, you know, your approach to, uh, to really driving, you know, team performance? Yeah, so, you know, thinking is sort of, sort of alluded to basically what you sort of mentioned before, right? Having goals and I be able to, you know, move towards that goal. So I, I'm a firm believer is basically operating with end in mind. Mm-hmm. So depending on what I'm hoping to accomplish, let's say it's this particular target, particular product, or, you know, in this case, and I launched this kind of incubation team, what is the purpose of the incubation team? So I try to think of with the end in mind, and I say if it's revenue driven, then you know I work backwards from there. So essentially, does that, does that mean you know, how many meetings do we need to have a day? How many calls do we need to make? You know, what is the purpose? What is the reason why we're doing this? So I really will try to install that to the team first, so they understand going into this, like their purpose, their vision, and mission for the for this particular challenge or team is. Uh, and then from there, it just be very metric driven. From there, obviously. You know, pass out the praise biscuit, as the uh, some of my pastor would say. <laughs> you know, basically, you know, praise the, the people who are top performing and encourage and try to empower the people who perhaps are lagging behind. Uh, and also be incredibly transparent, have tough conversations as needed. Because so far, I haven't, knock on wood, I haven't had to fire anybody. But I do have to put people on performance plan. But when I have those kind of transparent and, and they can see that I'm tough-minded but tender-hearted, I have their best interests in mind. 
they tend to perform really well. They go from the bottom of one to the top of four within two months, every time, which is just crazy. So it's just something to be said about, it's not necessarily about, you know, their ability to, it's not about their skills really. Oftentimes they're in their head in terms of, you know, just being motivated to do the things. Got it. So it sounds like, you know, you lead with empathy. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're definitely, um, you know, you're, you're tough, uh, but, but you, you have empathy for the team. Um, obviously, uh, you hold people accountable. It sounds like, you know, you know, you're, you're, uh, transparent and clear in your communications around expectations. Is that a, you got it. A fair yeah. summary. Great summary. Yep. Good deal. So um, I know you've led, you know, we talked, uh, you talked earlier about your transition from kind of the engineering space into the more of the, the revenue side of the house, if you will. Um, any nuances that, that you can recall from leading like engineering teams versus leading go to market teams or, or do you find it, you know, people are people regardless of, of their roles? Um, I think the fundamental doesn't really change. I think, you know, leading right. with empathy, you know, uh, compassion, have honest and rich and transparent conversation, just be right. a person. That piece doesn't really change. But I think from a revenue leader perspective, as a sales manager, typically you have, or sales leader, you typically have sales managers under you or, you know, sales reps under you. They all typically have a target uh, that they have to carry and achieve. So it's very, you know, black and white, you know, and I right. wouldn't say there's too many layers of gray over there, but and then right. a lot of time their success is evaluated based on how that, how they hit those numbers. Right. But it's very different when it comes to product and engineering. Uh, I have never led engineering team, but certainly a product team, but you know, from a product management side of things, um, you have to work very cross-functionally to help ship a product or features. But keep in mind, like, you know, people were marketing, people in UX, you know, engineers, you know, sometimes sales, you have to work with all these people, but none of these people report to you. So none of these people is, right. I guess, you know, I would say their career really depends on you or, you know, bonuses, et cetera. And they might be indirectly influencing them from that perspective. But the ability to really influence them without a title or position, that's really the huge difference from the product management side versus the sales leader side. Unfortunately, you know, I, I don't think I'm that good of a person to leave without those, you know, that, those little, little things. So that's why I moved away from product because it's really challenging. Honestly, if you right. don't really challenging engineers, good luck building any products. <laughs> you know, they, they, they'll work on whatever they want to work on. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, so that's the tough part. But I think the fundamental doesn't change. But I think, uh, you know, the biggest difference is indirect influence on the sales or versus product side. Got it. So, um, you know, I'd love to, to switch gears a bit and maybe talk a bit about talent acquisition. And I know, you know, you've spent the last decade from, you know, from what my, the research I've done, you know, you were, you were part of LinkedIn in the, you know, early days and the, the big growth spurt. Um, you went over to Hacker Rank, which, you know, also has, you know, had a, had a great run. You were over at Google Hire, which, you know, came out, you know, in, in being from an incubation stage, I believe, through, you know, going public with the product. And so, You've seen over the last 10 years a lot of change in, and focus in the HR technology space. And I just wonder, you know, what, what, uh, if you have any perspective on kind of what you've seen over the last decade, kind of how the market has changed in, in the, the HR technology and maybe specifically talent acquisition. You know, I feel like I might be biased in a way. I feel like, you know, when I joined LinkedIn, I guess uh, sort of 
is uh, you know quoting my age in some way is that <laughs> back in the day for you to sort of you know be higher you sort of had to apply to job posting or to go to career fair right is mm-hmm. i wouldn't say the balls is in the candidate's court but linkedin really transformed that completely uh you know more than ever most of the best hires are recruited on linkedin and passively so now, like, I think that HR technology or talent acquisition space has really shifted, really focusing instead of, you know, this kind of broader reach, but it's really focusing on candidate experience. Mm. Um, you know, how do we write a better email messaging? How do we perhaps send a more crafty text messages or find a person's email to you know, send more personalized email? How do we get, you know, reach back to the candidate as fast as we can? How do we turn around that kind of response time once they apply? How do we make sure that every single time a person applied to a job, they get a response, whether or not they got it rejected or accepted versus just right. leave them hanging? Because Glassdoor is another piece, right? If you don't do something like that. Oh my God, that's changed it. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah, your brand will go downhill from there. So like, I think it's really now, I think pivot towards focusing more on the candidate experience than anything mm-hmm. else versus the recruiting process. Um, so that's where I sort of see, I mean, where, you know, interview stream will really change that, especially with COVID, you guys probably, you know, you know, write that tail wave there in terms of just, you know, synchron- I guess, uh, you know, enhancing digital, digital interviewing process, you know, yeah. especially now people working remote, that is even more important than this kind of in-person interview and et cetera. Um, so yeah, I, I see that in the future, it will continue to go down that path. It's really focusing on the talent, not necessarily about the company, it's about the candidate experience, not necessarily about number of posting or, uh, I guess, post and pray, if you will, method. Right. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, so you, you kind of touched on COVID. Uh, obviously, you know, we've all been uh, dealing with this uh, unprecedented situation and, you know, everybody's working at home. I, I think your company is, has been one of the, the leaders and kind of the work at home, you know, movement and, and really, you know, driving some fundamental change uh, in the market. You know, what do you, you know, if you had a crystal ball, I mean, what, how do you, what do you think this new normal is going to look like post COVID? you know, from a, from a talent acquisition space perspective. Yeah. I think I heard from one of your previous podcasts, an interview that you mentioned about hearing people talking about in office days versus mm-hmm. working from home days. Yeah. I think that's going to be the future. <laughs> right. I, yeah. I think commercial spaces is going to be uh, commercial real estate is going to take a deep dive. Uh, and then people is going to be more focusing around like, you no, know, yeah, the work from home is the default and people is going to be, you know, they still want to build a culture, so they want to have working in office days, but they're working from mm-hmm. anywhere. Very similar to, I guess, the Microsoft approach. You can work anywhere that has an office. So I really do see that's going to be the future because I, I don't think there's any sort of replacement for just impersonal interaction. Like, I right. miss my coworkers. I really do. Right. I miss my team. Yep. Um, I thought I was having a nervous, nervous breakdown like second month in. I was like, oh, what am I doing? Just locked up in my own house. I feel like I'm in jail. Um, so I don't think that's going to go away. And people are just naturally more productive because if I need to, um, I think people have to be more creative as well right. in terms of how to mimic the in-office kind of experience for remote. So a good example would be, for example, where we're in office, I can easily just shout across the room, ask you a quick question, an idea, mm-hmm. but nowadays I had to do you on, you know, ping you on a chat or jump on a call, Zoom call, Google Meet call to do that. So it's just not very effective. So just using VC all day. So something that my team is doing is that we're trying to mimic this kind of in-office environment. So we always have a Google Meet open. 
to oh, mimic okay. kind of work is like uh, the office environment where we just jump in when we're not in a meeting to just chit chat with people, shout ideas over. And then when we have a meeting, we jump off that meeting and then go to our meeting and then jump Got back it. in as needed. So we always have that kind of in-person kind of experience, unexpected, you know, uh, like a landing spot, if you will. It, so that's um, what we're doing. Yeah, that, that's interesting. So are you... Uh, is it just your direct team that you, you keep mm-hmm. open a, a, you know, a Google meet? Yeah. Do you, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, that's pretty fascinating, you know, cause obviously, you know, we're, we're all trying to figure out as leaders of, of teams, you know, how do we continue to drive engagement? How do we continue to build culture and camaraderie, you know, in this new remote world? And, and obviously, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're both fans of technology and this works really well, but it still doesn't replace, you know, human interaction. I, I think, you know, physical live human interaction. And so that's, exactly. uh, it's fascinating what you're doing um, there within Google. And, you know, I'd love to just kind of pivot it for, for a moment into uh, your Google experience. Cause obviously, you know, fascinating company, you know, major player in, in, in the world today. And um, I've certainly, you know, kind of watched the, the, the growth of Google for probably the last 30 years or cause it's probably been close to 30 years, right? About yeah, 25. Probably. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, I mean, Google's known to be an incredible company and have an incredible cult- culture. And I'm just wondering if you could share with folks, you know, from an insider view, kind of what, what makes it so amazing or what, what do you attribute that to? Um, so I think like any company, um, as they grow in size, the culture completely changes, uh, becomes from this kind of singleized, uh, very uh, focused culture to microcultures within the sub-team and divisions. And that's exactly sort of what happened here at Google. Like when I joined Google, there's probably already 10,000 employees, 100,000 employees, that's what I meant, 100,000 employees. Like we have a vision statement and a mission statement that, you know, this kind of microculture sort of, I guess, uh, trickles down from. Um, but like within Google, I don't think there's just one culture, uh, at least as, you, as interview continue to grow, interview string continue to grow, probably a very similar thing. Now it's, right. it's this whole bunch of microculture within a company, you know, separated out by, let's say maybe ads versus the Google Cloud team versus the Maps team, the Waze right. team. And from there, there's even subculture from there, from the sales team to the marketing team. And from there, there's even more subculture from the new right. business team to the existing. I can go on and there's just gazillion cultures in place. Um, but you know, I, and then I personally wouldn't say all the cultures are healthy or productive. Um, you know, certainly, you know, I wouldn't attribute that back to the, the Google culture, but it's just a subculture wouldn't be necessarily all healthy and credible, but it all starts with a leader. In my opinion, I'll start with the leader of that individual sub teams or division, just what their vision, um, is for their team, their vertical, and what they're hoping to accomplish again with the end in mind. Uh, you know, is that career focused? Is that more company driven, um, metric driven? And I feel like I see too often that leaders deprioritize culture settings mm. and delegate that work to team members, mm. which is really weird. Like right. that should be the priority. And you, you, maybe you don't want to do hundred percent of work, but you want to be involved, but they delegate hundred percent of that. And then, those culture oftentimes fail because when a team and the leader is not leading by example, um, right. it's kind of hard for a culture to crystallize. Um, so yeah, it's really coming down from the top down. I think from our founders in terms of setting the right proper vision statement, mission statement, and then 
as the company grows, will follow based on those vision, mission, create subcultures behind it by the leaders they hire. Yeah. So it's uh, so it sounds like it, it, you know it's all about leadership, you know, yeah. and um, and uh, not outsourcing it to others. <laughs> Would, would be a yeah a great great point. So um, you know last, last topic uh, you know before we wrap up I'd love to chat about it unless there's anything else you'd want to touch on. But so I know you're an advisor, uh, you're an investor, and you're an advisor for for numerous companies. And so um, I'd imagine you work with companies kind of at different you know stages of their their uh, their startup life. Um, is there anything that you, uh, any advice that you give to, you know, early founders, you know, startup leaders as far as, you know, how to help build their culture, you know, create the right culture, bring in the right people, any advice you have for folks in, in that role? Uh, yeah, I think it just depends on, I'm very fortunate to be in that position now, given my experience and, um, and most of the work I do is really just paying back to the startup community in terms of helping them succeed, building the next Google, if you will. And it depends on the stage. I think, Ron, like you said, it's very much different than say you're just in, you know, the early phase with no seed funding. You're just building on an idea into a product MVP, you know, it's do or die at that moment. So it's more about just getting product market, get a product out the door to prove out the concept. That's necessarily about culture because there's only two or three right. the founding team. Right. But right. once you start getting larger in the series A, that's when you really need to think about like scale and sustainability in terms of, okay, so like, and focus, like, you know, is that, is your focus now is to get to your next round of funding or is your focus now about scaling, just downing down and just pouring fuels to the fire? Uh, at right. that point, then you need to make sure you have the right culture and right process in place, you know, the hiring process in place, you know, operational process in place, et cetera. Um, so it just depends, hundred um, percent based on the stage of the company. Makes complete sense. Yeah, makes complete sense. So, um, are there any other topics you'd like to cover before we wrap up? No, you know, I think uh, this um, talent and leadership is something that's very close and dear to my heart. Like you said, in HR tech for last 10 plus years, talking to recruiters, talent vision leaders, understand what keeps them up at night. And obviously being a leader myself, there's, if there's anything I would say, uh, one thing I would say is just to be authentic and transparent. Yeah. Um, I think oftentimes there's a misconception is that leader has to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being put on a pedestal, knowing everything and anything. But honestly, at the end of the day, people care about leaders who now who leads with their heart, um, you know, who's relatable, understand people's shortcoming, who's be willing to be transparent and vulnerable, mm. um, and for people to 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 sort of follow you. So I think people would love to follow leaders who are authentic versus people who are just sort of not authentic, if you will. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think in, in today's world, that's gonna um, you know matter more than ever. So. Uh, couldn't, couldn't agree with you more. Well, hey, that was an amazing conversation. I'd like to thank you again for your time and insights today. Um, how may our listeners best connect with you? Uh, I think the best way would be on LinkedIn. Uh, they can find me on uh, Charles Shea with the Chinese characters on the top, right? Uh, on LinkedIn. Or oh, they can reach out to me directly on, at, at Google, uh, which is Charles Shea, H-S-I-E-H, at Google.com. 
Awesome. We'll also uh, throw that in the show notes. That's all. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap uh, with our conversation with uh, Charles Shea. Please subscribe to our podcast wherever you prefer to get your stream. We'd also really appreciate it if you'd provide us with a rating and review. If you have any questions or comments for us, please feel free to contact us at talentstorm at interviewstream.com. Charles, thanks again for joining us today. Thank you so much. It's all good. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.